to the In the Pattern podcast. Big left traffic, cleared for the option. Minneapolis departure, Archer 641, Charlie, Charlie, 2000, climbing 3000. Line up and wait, 7 range, for my help. Mark Tower, 172, Romeo Hotel, hold short on 133, ready to take off. I'm John. I'm Chris. I'm Brad. And I'm Mark. And we are the In the Pattern Podcast. Welcome to the episode 60 of the In the Pattern Podcast. This is Chris. Along with me tonight, I've got the whole gang, John, Brad, and Mark. How you guys doing? Hey, hey. How's it going? We're all here. We're not pod fading. Just ducky. It yeah, yeah. It feels like it though, doesn't it? Yeah. It was. Uh, it's been a while, but uh, we'll get them out there one way or the other. Man, I I got to tell you guys, I am uh, living in paradise when it comes to weather. It's like been in the I don't know 60s and 70s for I don't know how long. And I and and I know that around the corner it's going to be ninety and a hundred, but uh, I'm just you know living the dream right now. Brad, have you gotten rid of all of all of your uh, snow up there? Oh yeah, we're we're done with the snow. Um, it's spring, actually spring is upon you. Yeah, it's a very early spring. We had rain today and it was liquid, um, which was really odd for this time of the year. But that's okay. Um, and versus, uh, versus the more solid kind and the fluffy white stuff. Yeah, we're just enjoying that brief period where we have sort of sort of warm weather, like 40s and 50s, um, but no bugs. That's all right. That's all right. John, how are you doing up there? I'm doing well, doing well. Um, flying. Yeah. Not often Flying's I come good. here saying that. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a nice change. I know. But uh, I'm, I'm keeping my eye on the weather for an upcoming flight. So Excellent. Gotta add to the In the Weather podcast. <laughs> the In the Weather? Yeah, episode 60, <laughs> In the Weather podcast. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll have to trademark that one, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Virtual Hangar, but you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Mark, over there on the West Coast, you are always got good weather. Always have good weather. You know, right now it's, it's in between the waves of uh, El Nino that, that, that keeps hitting us, which we need. No complaining whatsoever, unlike a lot of my... Uh, fellow Californians, but uh, especially my wife, tired of the rain. <laughs> We've got like, I don't know, up in the Sierra Nevadas, we have like 20 or 30 feet of snow, which is brilliant. Wow. But, uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. We They said it was something like, I don't know, some crazy number, like 20, 20 million yard acres or whatever the hell it is of, of snowpack up there. Most of the reservoirs are about 80%, and they're holding them at 80%. Uh, letting water out of them because stuff that's coming down. Anyway, uh, the weather has been brilliant, and uh, I finally uh, stepped out of the classroom, which I'll talk about later, and, <laughs> uh, and uh, did a little bit of flying, so I needed to get out and spread my wings. Yeah. Cool. Well, I guess we've all got a little bit of uh, flying in since the last one, which is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, man, I... I've been sitting here since we before we got on. I just uh, been like searching through barnstormers like I normally do, just looking at like tailwheel type airplanes. I'm just don't do it. Don't I do know. it. It's just <laughs> terrible. You're just you're just only hurting yourself. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's mental, you know what, and uh, it doesn't do me any good. I just I just keep looking at this stuff, going, I just I just I, yeah, that one will work. That'd be good. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, well, you know, I did a little bit of flying in a tailwheel. We'll get to that here in a little bit um, um, since the last episode, and uh, we'll talk about that. And it's just it's one of those things that kind of you know it's the bug bites you, you know. So I, I feel your pain. There's uh, I got a phone call from a guy. It's a friend of a friend through his rotary club that said, hey, you want to buy into a Cessna 172 that we're back up on its on its wheels? Five grand? It's like five people going <laughs> in for five grand. I'm like... Wow. That's so tempting, isn't it? Yeah, big time. I mean, that's like a number that I could just, uh, you know, here, let me write you a check mm. right now. Let's yeah. go. Uh, and then there's another person out there. There's a, uh, a young lady that, that owns an RV7A. Um, oh, beautiful! Nice yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and she's looking for like a half partner. Yeah, I'm like uh, you. You have the plane that I think I want to buy into that I can afford. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's. Uh, I I looked. Uh, I was looking at those RVs, trying to figure out what is with all the different models of RVs and what makes one different from the other. Because sitting on the ground, they're kind of hard to tell apart, especially the six, seven, eights, or whatever. They all yeah. seem to be really close and then i figured out that if it if it was just like an rv7 that's the tail wheel and if it's a 7a then you got the tricycle gear gear correct right and uh man you know that those are very i now i know why there's so many of them they just seem to be affordable they go fast uh fun to fly aerobatic you know they look and and economical they they sip gas which yeah which is brilliant you're you're getting what uh i think Six six or seven gallons per hour at 170 knots. It's like, oh, uh, yeah, that's just you know, you can get somewhere on that and do it economically. Exactly. You know, I could come down and visit you on on a on a tank of gas kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Did uh, speaking of gas, so fuel starting to go back up out here. Finally, we we finally hit like two bucks a gallon again. But for a while, it was down as low as a dollar thirty something. We're talking regular. Uh, car gas but did uh and i haven't flown that much to find out and i haven't paid for gas but uh how about how about you brad um did gas go down a little bit for you for for filling back up the planes when you went flying yeah um i'm seeing a fair amount of sub four dollar a gallon uh 100 low lead it just didn't go down quite as much as car gas did in in in, in the same token i guess Right, no. and, and clearly they don't make near as much—not even a fraction of what they do in auto gas. But uh, I was hoping it would, you know, be under the three dollars at some point. Like it used to be, like I think, like a dollar more than regular unleaded, or maybe a dollar more than premium unleaded, something like that. But it seems to have gotten a little bit further away than that. I think I, because um, the first time I'd ever paid for gas was in uh, North Carolina. And I think it was like three fifty a gallon down there. Um, mm-hmm. And I looked it up, and actually, the place I went was like the cheapest by like fifty to a buck, at like anywhere in the area. Speaking of that, I just saw an article about uh, um, oh the the organization that's in charge of choosing the non unleaded or the non leaded uh, fuel. Uh, who is that? Na- Fappy, uh, Nappy, who, whatever it is. No, no, it's, um, there's a name for it. I don't know. It's some, 
something API. I forget what the first letter is in front of it, but they had they had uh, decided on the two manufacturers or something like that of of who was going to be let in to start producing that. Yeah, it was Shell and Swift. Yeah, right. That made the cut. So uh, we may be getting closer and closer to that, but even even at that, I don't think that's going to change what a gallon of fuel cost because they won't produce it in bulk enough to uh it, it won't get make lower affordable. yeah even though it's not built the same way or whatever refined. yeah all of these will be more expensive because tetraethyl lead is cheap <laughs> yeah yeah and then um i mean the other thing too is you figure all of the the fees that we pay through the fuel yeah and so, uh yeah. rather that than other user fees so which it sounds like is going to be coming through anyways you know, at least for over the twelve thousand five hundred pound mark airplane, right? I don't know. I thought they were shooting that down. Well, they're trying. I mean, I sent my letters in to all of my representatives, my senators, and and uh, congressmen around here. I I did that. Did the Twitter thing, the whole bit. Um, so I, you know, it's one of the, that those things that's put into that same bill to to get uh, the driver's license uh, um, medical thing taken care of too. So it's kind of all built together. I don't know. I kind of hoping it doesn't, but you know, it's politics. So, um, any volunteers who wants to go first? Tell us about your latest flying adventure. I vote for John. Yay, John! Oh. You win. <laughs> <laughs> Easy enough. <laughs> I um, you know, in that magical time since um. Ooh, last fall, I guess, when I found out I needed to hit 100 hours and then found out I needed to um, get 25 hours in the last, um, what, 12 months or something like that, I uh, ended up flying a ton just to, to make up hours. So, uh, you know, I had a couple flights I know I've already talked about, all the flying I did out in San Diego, but then when I came back, uh, I started planning, um, I think I mentioned this last time, to fly to first flight. Um, finally wanted to get out and do the pilgrimage down there. Um, do a landing, do a nice afternoon flight. First flight being first flight being Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Uh, the runway is literally parallel, um, to the, um, the little area they have marked out where they did the actual first flights. Um, and they have the first floor flights, um, marked out and it's kind of a little field over there. And, and they've got these stones kind of where they started with, um, some of the rails where they, cause they had, they launched it on rails and then it flew up and then they have stones on where they, um, where each flight landed of the first four and how long they flew and how the distance it was. Um, and it's amazing just how short, <laughs> The first one was it's like a hundred feet or less or something like that. Um, and then progressively longer till the fourth flight was probably, I would say maybe half the distance of the actual runway that's over. That's actually first flight KFFA. Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting place to land. Um, so I, I, I did that flight that was, um, I think a little over five hours total, which is also the longest flight I'd ever done. And, um, what'd you say? Did you say five? Did you say five hours? Yeah. I want to say five. Hang on. I'll pull it up. It was a, I did a lot of flying that day. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like before landings or like, no, just total. Hours? Oh, okay. All right. I was yeah. That, say, wow. That, 
No, no. So the flight itself, um, and I'm pulling up the logbook right now, came to to KFFA. Uh, looks like getting down there was 2.9 hours. Um, we had a wicked headwind. Um, and, and I was kind of expecting, you know, no wind. It should take me about two hours. And then um, it ended up being almost three um, by the time we landed and shut everything down. So uh, that, that was actually a, a fairly long long leg went out of Martin state airport, um, just Northeast of, uh, Baltimore flew right over the bay and I went down to, um, Salisbury had to dodge a bunch of the Pax river Patuxent. That's um, your old stomping grounds, right? Martin state. Yeah. I mean, that's where I've done a lot of my flying and I've been flying out of there a lot the past. Um, actually most of the hours I've done in the last year have been out of there. Uh, I love that airport. <laughs> so John, just as a, as a side note, where you're at now, are you still in the SFRA? No, so actually none of this is in the SFRA. So um, when you flew down, did you have to did you have to go through that or around that? So basically, th- there's two ways I could have gone. One would have put me through it if I wanted to, um, but I probably would have had to transition over BWI, which can sometimes be hard to get. Um, and, and then also kind of would have been a little bit longer, I think, because I would have had to go inland at some point and then... Cause, Pax River is kind of like this ginormous monstrosity of restricted area that just happens to sit out there in the middle of the bay. Um, and, and kind of it, it covers some of the um, western side of the bay and then also a ton of the eastern shore. So no matter which way I went, I, w- I would have to gone around parts of that. Um, so I ended up basically just staying out on the eastern shore and just going east of all of the um, restricted areas. So I stayed well away of the SFRA all the time. Because um, you don't really hit the SFRA until you're directly over Baltimore. And since I'm starting out northeast of Baltimore and then going southeast, I kind of just skirt around the whole thing. Um, so my question was kind of loaded. Um, because <laughs> I don't have an SFRA out here. I have a bunch of Bravo and you know, yeah. a bunch of open space. But uh, my question was really for those that don't fly out of the SFRA or in one. Um, so you now live outside and you really don't have to go in there in order for you to go back down through it. Is there a period of time where you'd like have to get rechecked out or um, certified? No, I know it's not a certification, but get checked out to go through the SFRA again. It, yeah, not really. Um, I mean, the key is just to keep up on any changes. So, um, Whenever you call to get a brief or something like that, they always ask you, hey, are you briefed with the SFRA procedures effective this date, right? So you just have to make sure that, you know, the procedures you know are the the, the latest ones. Um, so generally what I like to do is kind of coincidental to the um, BFR, the, the flight review, um, do a uh, kind of redo the training. It's a half hour course online that you take. Um, it's really simple. And you just get a little certificate at the end that just says, hey, we completed this. Um, And it just goes over all the procedures again and and kind of what to do, who you're talking to. Um, There's a couple special areas like Leesburg and stuff like that. So basically, I'll just do that. And then other than that, there's not a whole lot. It's really, I mean, you need clearance to get in. You need a special SWAT code. It's a lot like IFR without getting the benefits of being on an IFR flight plan. Um, You don't get the separation or anything. You're just required to talk to them. So it's it's not too difficult. And in this case, I would have technically, because I'm within 60 miles of DCA, I would have had to have been briefed. You know, I have to have taken the training to fly um, legally, but uh, other than taking the training, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're good to go. There's not anything you really have to do. Gotcha. So you don't have to, like, uh, every two years 
you know, like like a like a BFR. You don't have to get no. the, rechecked out or anything. No. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So we we ended up flying over the eastern shore down um down around Salisbury around around Pax River and then um kind of flew right by Wallops where they do all the um, launches down in Virginia, which was really cool um, to see kind of that whole area off, off the distance. Um, just took the Eastern shore all the way down until um, we hit the end of the Chesapeake Bay, um, right where the um, Bay bridge tunnel is. And uh, basically flew over the, flew over the end of the Bay, right over Norfolk um, Oceana and just kind of followed the coast all the way down until we hit Kitty Hawk and landed, um, did flight following the whole way. And that ended up being, um, really, really useful. Um, it was a lot of, I mean, it's always useful, but just, just that many controllers that you're talking to throughout the whole day and just get constantly getting handed off to all the different people and just being used to being in the system was, was nice. And, um, you know, I feel much more comfortable on the radio than than I probably ever have before. So um overall it was a really good flight. It was incredibly smooth. Um it was nice. Uh the only problem we had was just a nice headwind. <laughs> but got down there, uh Cherry Point I, I told them, I said, hey, I got the field in sight. And they're like, all right, cool. Uh don't see anybody between you and the field. Have a good day. And came in, did a um kind of flew Flew over the field and then went over, um, kind of did a nice big teardrop into, um, into the downwind landed. Uh, it was a little breezy once we got down there. So it was definitely a little bit of crosswind. Um, and, and the one thing with, with first flight, you always have to watch out for is the trees. Cause there's a ton of trees around the airport. And so as soon as you hit the tops, I mean, it, it gets squirrely quick. Um, so I knew that was coming. It wasn't too bad. Um, wasn't my best landing ever, but I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't wasn't that bad um but came in you kind of go down uh you you do it to like um going in we actually landed the right way so i just pulled off into the um into the parking area but it's actually um that there is no taxiway so if you do need to take off or anything you got a taxi back but we basically uh parked and then where you park you're just you just look off to the right and there's the giant memorial on the hill on kill devil hill um and it's just giant like it's a nice little hill and then just this this big stone sculpture right on top of it um there's a whole bunch of so it's walking distance from right there huh oh yeah you just walk over and that's called hill and you walk there and we just basically got out and uh it took us so long to get down there we were kind of short on time uh so we didn't we only got to spend like a half hour um kind of hanging out down there but we we walked around the hill kind of walked up to the monument walked down saw where all the stones were and where they did the actual flights um then we came back and kind of got the plane ready and then um did a quick five minute hop right over some water inland to manteo or manio or i don't even know how to pronounce it um which is a little larger airport but they have fuel there they don't have any services at all in first flight um you can park there max 24 hours um they do have a little like flight lounge that i think aopa sponsors it's a nice little building um with some bathrooms and stuff and there's some internet but uh, other than that there's really not a lot there's nothing really going on there. There's no food or anything. It's just a museum essentially. Um, and like a park basically. So, uh, I knew at this point, since it took us so long to get down there, we were going to be a little pressed for time to get back because I wasn't night current. And, uh, you know, we had to make sure that we did get back in enough time. 
Um, so did a quick hop over to um, Manio and um, grabbed some fuel there, which was actually my first time ever fueling in another airport and, and kind of having to worry about that. It's something I'd never done before. What, what was that like? Um, nothing. <laughs> Walked in, said I need some gas. They went out, they did it, went back out, checked to make sure everything was good. And, you know, it was, it was the right fuel and it, all the levels were good. So, um, they were nice. We grabbed some vending machine food because we didn't have enough. We were going to actually get, they have courtesy cars there and we we're going to grab something while we we're there, but we just didn't have time. <laughs> Quality. So, yeah. The old vending machine food. Yeah. Um, and I was like, we, we got to get back so we can't really stay here. <laughs> um, what was funny is, is while we were there, um, this King Air we had heard um, on the way in finally arrived. And so it's, this thing, this thing rolls up and it's this you know, King Airs aren't small. So it's this, you know, giant King Air. And it's in pink. Just entirely pink. Oh, the Mar- the Mary Kay chicken. The Mary Kay King Air. Okay. Great. Well, actually, it you was... You used to get a Cadillac when you sold a lot of makeup. <laughs> Apparently, they've upgraded to the to the King Air. <laughs> well, it turns out, I looked this up and I found it. It's the Breast Cancer Awareness King Air. And oh, it was... Oh, of course. Um, the Susan yeah. J. Komen. Yeah. Well, it was, um, it was actually up. Um... Some like rent a you know rent a king air service essentially a charter service called up, and um they had one special king air they painted pink because I think most of the time they're blue is their color, um but they did this one in some partnership and so that was the one that landed there that day but um I just thought that was interesting because uh, I was looking I was just like man what is this giant pink <laughs> airplane <laughs> that's funny but yeah basically we we. Took off from there, headed headed right back home. Uh, no issues whatsoever. A lot faster on the way back. It was like two hours on the way back. Um, got up to Pax River, and that was when we kind of. Um, I think I was talking. I was talking to actually Patuxent Approach at the time, and uh, he he calls me up. He's like, "Hey, um, do do you want to make your turn now to uh, Martin State?" And I was like, "Sure." <laughs> and so I looked down at the the plate, and I'm like. Hmm, that goes right through a bunch of restricted area. <laughs> so I quickly looked up the number, I called him up and I said, Hey, I just want to verify, like, that's cold, right? He's like, Yeah, you're fine. Hmm. Like, okay, good. Because <laughs> um, it would it should have been active according to the, the chart, but apparently it was cold that day. So, um, well, I know it was active actually earlier because I heard them talking about it when it was going active on the way down. Um, but they were already done. It was all good. So I got kind of direct at that point. And that's when I handed off the, um, cause I basically let the G 1000 fly its way the whole time before, up till that point. So I let, um, my friend Chris, who flew with me, I let him start flying. Um, are you, are you real, are you real comfortable with that, uh, G 1000 and the autopilot now at this point? Yeah. I yeah. love that thing. It is mm-hmm. just so capable. I mean, literally the, the autopilot's I, built into the G 1000. It's not a secondary device that's slaved to it. Uh, right. So the thing with the G one thousand is it's it's entirely modular and like all the all it, everything is modular in it. Okay, so so you just slide modules in. So so this, but it's, it's not it's, like an S tech that's slave to it or whatever. Or it is. No, no, it okay. is a Garmin. This one is a Garmin GFC seven hundred mm-hmm, or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it is the Garmin autopilot that's for that plane. Um, gotcha. But it is an extra module because not all of them have it. Gotcha. Um, but all the ones I've flown at at Martin State with Brett do, and. Um, I mean, it's one of those things where literally like 800 feet off the ground, you click it on and it will fly you the entire way. 
Um, you just monitor it. It will do everything. It'll do all your flight level changes, all of your um, navigation, GPS, heading, everything. It just does everything. Um, so I do like it a lot because it lets me kind of deal with all the other stuff I'm doing. And especially if I'm ever going to do instrument, I just, I don't know. I, I would love to, you know, normally fly that um, just because it, it gives you the chance to kind of keep ahead of the airplane and, and focus a little bit. Oh yeah. Um, but essentially once, once we, um, once we hit Salisbury, I let Chris fly the rest of the way. And uh, it was really funny because I, I was like, I looked at him and I was like, I really hope the controllers aren't wondering what the hell's going on because we've had all these perfect lines and all of a sudden it's like these zigzags everywhere. <laughs> um, he actually did pretty well, but I definitely had to keep an eye because he would just kind of dive a little bit or go a little to the other side. And, I mean, we we kept it fairly straight, but it was uh, it's just interesting to watch somebody who's never done it before. Um, and just every time, dive into the right. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Everybody dives to the right. Hmm. Heavy right uh, hand. Yeah, um, but uh, but no, he did pretty good. We went in, got into Martin State. Uh, we were in. It was nice because it was like one of those things where we were we were coming in um, well before the hour after dark. Um, but it was getting dark, so we were kind of getting into the some of the night lights and stuff like that. So it was really cool to kind of get that contrast, especially from earlier in the day. Um, but uh, overall, I mean, that was an awesome flight. I just I loved. Um, I loved the whole thing. It was it was long. It was the first time I'd ever took a plane somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I started in the morning. It was cold. And then we ended up in North Carolina. And it was like, you know, nice. It was in January, but it was like a springish day. You know, it was great. It, um, it, just, it just starts making you, like, imagine, man, if I had my own plane and, you know, could just leave whenever I wanted, this is the type of thing that I would just go, you know, make a habit of doing once in a while. Oh, yeah. It was it was awesome. Um, what was different about the planning process for this than, than what you're typically accustomed to? You know, really not a whole lot from some of the other flights I've done that were further, you know, going somewhere, not just like little local flights. Um, I kind of treat it the same way I did like the Scranton flight. Um, a lot of it was just, I mean, for the most part, it was just double checking everything, making sure I had all the heights right. I wasn't you know, going to hit any obstacles at any point, understanding the airspace along the way. Um, the differences I think a lot were, um, I, I briefed up a lot on, on class C because I knew I was going to be either going through and it all depended on the cloud height. Cause I didn't, obviously I didn't know where the clouds were going to be. So depending on where they were going to be, it was dependent on whether I was going to be going over the class C or through it or something else. So I need to make sure I knew, you know, I was good on that. Um, I had a bunch of different, um, I guess the big thing was down at the mouth of the bay, it's about a 20 mile gap. Um, and I had never flown that much over water before. Not that it's that big because it, it now having flown it, it really isn't. Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't know. And um, I, I was, I guess doing a lot of kind of research and play flight onto going down that way and what it was going to be like. And, um, you know, should I stay along the, the Bay Bridge just in case? Am I good to just gain some height and go straight over? Is it going to be that big a deal? Um, and in the end, I was at like 6,000 feet, 6,500 feet, something like that. And just I just went straight over, did the, the shortest, you know, distance. I knew I was probably going to reach either side at any point, and I would have been fine. Um, 
and the clouds wouldn't factor because there's basically no ceiling whatsoever. So um, I basically got the best day I could have weather-wise. Um, but really, it was a lot of just different options and stuff. And um, I knew if the weather was going to be kind of iffy anywhere, I just wasn't going to do it. So I wasn't as worried about some of the alternates as much. Um, I knew I had Manteo down there. If I couldn't get in a first flight or if it was too windy, it's a much larger airport. It's five minutes away. I've got um, a ton of airports on the way all along the, you know, the place. And I do know a lot of the North, the, you know, I know the area enough that, um, it didn't feel, I guess, too crazy. Um, but just a lot of double checking and everything. And, and once we got underway, I mean, any kind of fears or reservations or anything I had just kind of went away. Cause I was like, you know what? I know what I'm doing. I'm doing good. And it was fine. I was in the system. I was talking to somebody on flight following. So um, I really couldn't have asked for a better flight. It turned out really well. And it kind of proved to myself, hey, I can do this. I can go somewhere and I can go far away. Um, you know, I can take it on a cross country and just go somewhere. Yeah, I feel you. You know, when Franz and I flew to Oshkosh from over here, I was like, that. you know, it, it, I've had that same kind of feeling like, wow, you know, it doesn't matter where it is. You know, if you just plan it, at, plan it out, uh, stick to the plan and uh, make your way there. A lot of fun. Yeah. And that's kind of what led me into saying, you know what? I can do New York, um, which was the next big flight I did. I, uh, I planned a flight and I was like, you know what? I got to kill, I got to kill some hours. I might as well do these long flights. Let's do some stuff I've never done before. Or I've always wanted to do. And so, um, doing New York and doing the Hudson river, um, exclusion, um, and their SFRA up there was kind of the other one on my list. And that ended up being, uh, another flight that, you know, after first flight, I was like, I can do this. It's a shorter flight. Um, I think this will be really cool. So I grabbed uh, a friend of mine and uh, it's my wife's, um, I guess, maid of honor. Because her sister was a matron, I think. I don't know. I get those confused. Anyway, she was in her wedding. But <laughs> <laughs> she she showed up. At some, she was there at some point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I grabbed her and because uh, I had taken her up before. Um, but uh, the last time she was kind of preoccupied with some stuff. So she's like, you know what? I want to go up again. I want to, you know, enjoy it a little more. I was like, well, why don't we do New York? I think this would be cool. Let's go do it. And so, um, same thing took off, got flight following up, went up, um, kind of did a loop around Philadelphia. I just kind of avoided the Bravo altogether. Didn't even bother with it. Um, went up to the Hudson, did the, uh, did the SFRA up there, the Hudson river exclusion right up, right up the river and then kind of left. Um, once I got out to the North headed over to, um, Lincoln park, New Jersey, which if anybody listens to stuck Mike Avcast, um, I, no, I was going to go, I don't, I don't know anybody who listens to that, but yeah, I don't know either, but I was going to go to Trenton and get Kidding. food. And then I, I kept hearing them talk about Lincoln park. And I was like, you know what? I, I saw that and I was thinking about going there. So I'm just going to do it. So I put that on the flight plan. So, Wait a minute. So, um, the CIFRA where you're from, you got to go through a class or something, right? So all the CIFRAs, what about there? All the CIFRAs are basically you take an online class. Oh, okay. So you it's, was able to it's do It's like it. a PowerPoint with some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And is there a, like a quick quiz or something or, you know, I don't remember if there's a quiz or not. I think there was, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, their CIFRA is much different and much I'm going to say on paper easier. Um, 
and I'll get to why in a minute. <laughs> okay. Okay. But, um, but basically the, the gist of it is um, they've got two zones. They've really got three zones, but they really, they have two zones. Um, if you're not going in the Bravo. Um, and I should say there's two exclusions and I'm not going to talk at all about the East River exclusion because most of that is either you have to be Bravo cleared um, to go through it or you're going to be seaplane or helicopter. Other than that, there's really no reason to be there and you can, I don't think you can even do it. Most people go up the Hudson River exclusion, which is, you know, Statue of Liberty, the Intrepid, up the, the skyline in New York, all the way up to the, um, uh, the Verrazano is the first one. So it's the GWB, the George Washington. And that there's 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 one zone up thirteen hundred feet or higher, which is in the Bravo. And basically, if you get if you're if you have Bravo clearance, you can request the Skyline route, and they'll basically let you go kind of up there, and you can kind of go through the Bravo and just transition. Um, for me, I was on the non Bravo side; I was staying low. Um, and there's there's two zones there: there's the transient, and then there's the local. So transient is between um 1000 up to 12000 or 1000 up to 1299 essentially when you're in that when you're in that zone um you're going to be going through the entire SFRA with um very little course correction or change or anything else speed or course correction they want you to be as consistent as possible you're just transiting through and you know that's it um, below that is more of the local stuff. You want to see something you want to do. And a lot of that is helicopter traffic that's going to like the Statue of Liberty or, or whatnot. So basically it's, that's all, um, 999 feet or below. And so you, you, you kind of pick one of those two zones, depending on the type of flight you want to do. I was doing transient. I was going from the South going North and that was it. When you're entering the SFRA, um, essentially there's a common, it's basically a CTF frequency. Um, that everybody's everybody's talking on and you are calling out specific reporting points as you go through so there's the the verrazano bridge the vz there's the clock um it's a clock on the jersey side the intrepid i always thought you were on flight following because i've watched a lot of youtube videos and it seems like they're talking to somebody i actually no i had to cancel my flight following to go in huh okay yeah so it's common frequency um if you're northbound, you stay to the east side of the river, over the river, not over land. You have to be over the river, but on the east side. If you're southbound, you go to the west side uh, as well, over the river. And um, you just call out your points. So um, basically like Cessna 1200 feet, VZ, northbound. And and you just kind of call out your, your points, where you are, what you are, and that's it. And so there's a bunch of those on the way up. What I wasn't expecting, and, and you know, I knew it was going to be busy and crazy, and I knew I was going to have to be, you know, very cautious going in there. Um, number one is we were coming up, so we were we were kind of over, um, over Jersey, coming up to the the mouth of the Hudson where it hits the hits the ocean, and we were going to kind of meet there and then start. Um, we basically had to stay out of Newark's uh, Newark's airspace, and then make the turn up. And then enter at the Verrazano. So at this point, hitting the water, and so I, I canceled my flight following them. I said, "I'm good. I'm going up the SFRA. I'm gonna, you know, stop." Um. Then we hit the water, and then it got really bumpy because <laughs> we hit the wind. 
And so at this point, it's I'm still letting the G1000 fly itself. But it's bumpy. Are you, you're 1,000 or 500 over the water? At this point, I was 1,200. Mm-hmm. So I was going to go down to 1,100. And as we get closer and closer to the Verrazano Bridge, this is when I started being like, wait a minute, that bridge looks really tall. And I just had a moment of like, immediately start looking at the chart. Like I, I didn't, I didn't screw anything up. Right. Like, cause I'm supposed to go right over one of the spans and I didn't, it was like 600 feet or something like that. But, um, very, very nerve wracking at first. Cause you start getting close to things that you normally shouldn't be close to. Yeah. And so we make the North, we make the turn there. And so at this point you're at the Verrazano bridge, you're seeing Manhattan up, up, up to the north, you're seeing the Statue of Liberty and everything else. And this is when I start picking out, um, number one, there was traffic behind me and there was traffic coming southbound on the other side. So I knew the traffic coming southbound on the other side was there and I was picking it up on the G1000. Um, and then I finally saw it and I'm like, man, he's like really close. <laughs> then you, you, cause you realize at this point how wide the river actually is and it's not very wide and you've got people <laughs> going northbound, southbound and underneath you doing all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> So at this point, I'm just like looking everywhere. I'm back and forth between, you know, the traffic on the G1000, listening to them, you know, hearing the people where they are as they call out their stuff and then, you know, keep my eyes peeled. Then we come up and as we get closer and closer to the Statue of Liberty, you just start seeing them. The helicopters, they're coming up, they're going around the Statue of Liberty, they're coming back and you just, just see tons of them. There's probably four or five helicopters. And it got to the point where one time the G1000 started yelling at me, traffic, traffic. And I'm like, I know he's 300 feet below me on the other side of the river. <laughs> the G1000 version of the bitch and Betty. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's still like, it's like, I know we're okay. I've said my reporting points. He said his, I've got eyes on him. He's doing what he's supposed to do. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but this is really nerve wracking. Like he's close. And then, um, you get up to the Statue of Liberty, go past it, and then you start hitting Manhattan. And at this point, you're looking over, and you're looking up at the top of One World Trade Center. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, like, it's significantly taller than than you are. And you're just kind of <laughs> going up, and it's just, there's, there's helicopters everywhere, there's buildings, and this is when it, it started yelling at me, obstacle. <laughs> Because I'm over the water, but I'm like way closer than I ever should be to, you know, a skyscraper. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was intense. Um, And as soon as we kind of got past the intrepid and started going more north um, by like Central Park and all that kind of stuff, the traffic calmed down. There was nobody up there anymore. Everybody wanted the Statue of Liberty. Um, So we could kind of relax a little bit. But um, uh, it was kind of a easy flight out and then um a lot of trying to figure out how to get into lincoln try to find the airport get in land very tiny runway pretty good food what do you mean tiny runway uh it was i mean it was probably two thousand feet but it was very you know i'm used to 6800 and 150 wide that would look small it's like 2050 foot or something it might even be a little more than that but um it was windy enough that it was definitely interesting coming in there and it's kind of hidden behind some, some um, mountains and stuff, but uh, or I should say hills, you know, for all the people out West, but um, neat little airport. It was fun flying in there. Um, got some food, had my first almost um, passenger 
uh, throw up. Uh, at that point, she had the bag. She was breathing <laughs> into it. Um, you know, the, the sad part was it was really windy. And as soon as we got out, I mean, it was bumpy as anything. I couldn't go higher. I couldn't do anything about it. Like, the only thing I could do was get into Lincoln Park. Um, because you got Bravo above you and everything else. And so she held in really well. She didn't. Um, um, she ended up being okay. Uh, the ride back was a little bumpy here and there, but fairly smooth overall. And... Um, uh, it ended up being an awesome flight. Uh, probably the most work I've ever done going through the um, New York SF4A, but definitely something I would highly recommend anybody to do. It was awesome. I've never done anything like that before. And, definitely yeah. on my list. We keep talking about going out there for even doing the New Year's Eve thing, and if we ever do that, I'll definitely add an extra day to hit up somebody out there. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, it was awesome. And, I mean, a great way to get the hours that I needed. Um, between those two flights, I did another flight with, um, went with, uh, uh, Damon out to Cape May. He was, he's been in town for a while from Italy. So, uh, we hooked up, did a breakfast flight out there. Um, ended up with 117 and a half hours, um, total. Cool. Um, now, so, I mean, I, I've had a blast doing this, got to do some really cool stuff enough that I'm planning uh, to go to first flight again, possibly this Saturday. Um, me and two buddies, we were t- talking and we decided, uh, we're, we want to go down there, uh, spend the night and, um, just kind of have a little guys weekend before the kid comes in a car. Well, whew, man, less than three months now. <laughs> so cool. Getting a lot of flying in, get to yeah. test out the new Stratix I got. So yeah. How, how was that? That was fun, huh? It was so easy to put together. It was um little ADSB thing, kind of like the Stratus, um, but cost me 250 bucks, does uh, 1090 and 980, I guess. I forget what they are, but does both of those. And I really like a your... Raspberry Pi based thing. And... Yeah, I really like your case that uh, you got yours with. Uh, mine's just got the plain clear plastic case that you see as the part of the kit. But uh, yeah, yours looks, I mean, it looks like it was like uh, made for what you're doing with it, with it, the two it... little antennas sticking out the side. Well, yeah, and it was it was a custom built thing. It was a Kickstarter I did, and um, I'll, I'll jump the link in the show notes for it. But uh, two hundred and fifty yeah. or two hundred dollars for this thing, Raspberry Pi, same thing you have, just nice fancy box, battery powered, and um, I fired it up. It works. Uh, so this is the first flight I'll use it. So I'll kind of have to report back on that. But yeah, definitely it's really neat. cool. I uh, I enjoyed using mine um, that the last time uh, that we got to use it, where you know people were calling it, where ATC was calling out traffic, and I was able to look on uh, my tablet and say yep i see them and it kind of give you a little better um reference of where to look out the window you know because they could say you know they're at you know 10 o'clock and they're at what altitude but you look out they might be at 10 o'clock but the angle that they're moving they might have moved to 11 or 9 in just a matter of seconds and and I'll be honest, uh, you know, I don't know how much the traffic is going to help with the G1000 because I already got traffic. It's not ADSB, right. oh, but yeah. I do have a lot. Yeah. However, I did fly um, the, uh, uh, what is it, the Synthetic Vision G1000. Oh, cool. And they put the traffic where it should be on the Synthetic Vision. Oh, that's really cool. That though. is awesome. Um, but, uh, side note, but yeah, I mean, the, the Stratix I'm interested to test out. And I think really the weather, I think, is going to be neat and all the other stuff getting the pyre. And, and it'll be cool so yeah I'm looking forward to it yeah it's a fun little project if uh 
if you you know if you want to see that traffic on your on your tablet uh you know it's 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 a cheap date to put together real quick and you don't need to know any kind of programming it's just a matter of loading up a couple of files and boom there you have it it's really easy. i didn't even have to do that this kit gave me everything took me 10 minutes to put together and it worked oh yeah well you go to um there's a what is it um what's that website uh i'm trying to think of it um Basically, that has basically the forums for Stratix. Um, you know what I'm talking about, John? I haven't been on it. I, I paid somebody to do all the hard work and all <laughs> yeah. that stuff and put it together, and it works. And it wasn't $900. Now, I know Brad has Reddit. a real thing. Reddit. It's on Reddit. That's where I... If you go to Reddit, and then it'll send you to the link to download the, the, the file that you basically... Um, uh, just basically put the image on your little SD card and stick it in your Raspberry Pi and, you know, a couple of uh, configuration things and you're done. It's very simple, yeah. Now, I know Brad has the, the, the actual uh, Stratus, Stratus, so I'll be interested to see how, the, how this compares to that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think uh, I have a Stratus 2, which has the, a, the Attitude Heading Reference System, the AHARS. The AHARS, yeah. So actually, um, mine, they're, they're talking about an upgrade for it that you can yeah. basically buy and just dump in and it'll give you mm-hmm. the, uh, um, that. Right. It certainly wouldn't be hard to add the yeah. accelerometers and gyros that it would take to, to make that a reality. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started recording that the fact that uh, more and more of our aircraft in the club have built-in ADS-B uh, in and out with a uh, Wi-Fi output to ForeFlight uh, is making the Stratus less and less appealing to me personally because mm. it, it's just it's going to be built into all of our planes. Yeah. Nice. And, and I, I get your feeling there, especially flying the G1000s now because the traffic, I mean, I, for the most part, I already have it. Well, um, you sort of have of it. it. I, I do. I do sort of have it. But um, it, it's already been a nice addition, and yeah, I'll probably get more with this. Um, and I'm looking forward to them actually putting ADSB in those planes. But, right. Uh, then you'll have then you'll have quote unquote real traffic where you'll get yeah. traffic. Out. You've you've got Mode S traffic. Yes, which is what we have in our Mooney as well. It has a Mode S transponder, and it'll give us traffic information when we're close to a big airport. Well, I will say this: most of my flying is around DC area within the Vale. <laughs> right. Yeah. So and if you're if you're in there, you get Modes all the time. Yeah. Uh, but if you fly out of the sticks like I do, I only get Modes when I'm close to the big airport, and then it just disappears. Yeah. So I only actually in all of my flights, I only lost um, traffic a few times, and it was only in very very small little areas. Um. But um. They don't. They don't pay for like XM or anything in these planes. So, I am a little interested to see how the weather aspect works with these. So there. Yeah. So that's 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 the the long version of <laughs> all of cool. the things I've been doing. Yeah, definitely hit a couple of bucket list items in, on there for me that I want to get in. It, yeah, you know, I got to get it all done before the kid comes. So yeah, running out of time. <laughs> Speaking of that, how much longer? How many more months? Or weeks. Uh, so, 
tomorrow actually is going to be 28 weeks in the start of the third trimester officially. there you go so i have according to my app 85 days or two months and 24 days so. <laughs> or whatever um plus or minus weeks <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know we'll, we'll see but june <clears throat> mid, mid to late june um, cool is what we're looking at so nice exciting yeah totally exciting very happy for you and hopefully that uh, last trimester goes uh, really well for her. It better after all the crap she's been through so far. So, <laughs> so since we got uh, Brad on here already talking about a little bit of that stuff, why don't you uh, tell us what you've been up to, Brad? Hey, I'm not expecting any children, so I don't no. know what you mean. No, okay. Well, you got that going for you. <laughs> yes, indeed. Make it sound like it's a bad thing. Uh, oh, it's wonderful. In general. It's the best. <laughs> Hey, there's comment. a tax write-off involved in it. Yeah, yeah, kids are cheap. Honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm gonna leave that right there. Um, so, yeah, I managed to get a little bit of flying in. Um, I didn't fly at all in December, which was the first, I think, the first calendar month I've missed an entire stretch. Um, but I did, uh, I did manage to fly. A couple flights in January. I, I flew once in the Arrow to get uh, night current again, um, which is very easy to do in Minnesota in January because the sun sets at like one in the afternoon or something, and so we got a lot of night. Um, and uh, you know, I, I was able to. I think it was point three was what I logged uh, for the entire flight to get night current. And. Um, you hit those f- three full stop landings and put the plane away. I yeah, I got it started. That was what I. That wasn't what I logged in the. That was what it cost me, basically, <laughs> to to do it. Was point mm-hmm. three on the on the tack, um, and that was yeah. Started up, you know, do the run up. Uh, the The tower was closed, so I didn't have to work with the tower. I just taxied out. You know, flew, uh, took off, or taxied out, did my run-up, took off, went around, landed, taxied back, took off, landed, taxied back. One more, put it, and then taxied back to the barn and put it away. Um, so all of that was 18 minutes. Um, and that's that's pretty normal, I think, uh, to, to be able to get it to, to, if you're just going for currency, to just bang it out like that. Um, our, some folks at our flying club bought a sim, uh, not a Redbird, but another company's sim. Uh, it's X-Plane based, uh, like I think most of the, uh, I think most sims these days are. And uh, so I flew, I got set up and flew one sim approach in it. I was hoping to get some more in, but uh, but there wasn't the wasn't the time. But it was really interesting uh, getting used to flying a sim again and hand flying, um, hand flying uh, like an ILS approach down to five or six hundred feet and uh, breaking out and having the airport there. And I flew it takeoff uh, from f- taking off from Crystal, and then flew over to Anoka to do an ILS. And that was, uh, uh, it was a good experience. It was good to get used to how the sim worked. He was learning, the flight instructor was learning, uh, and the, and the approach counts for real, um, which is, which is really nice. I've got to squeeze in, 
another approach or two uh, to maintain currency, um, and uh, that will be important. I managed to fly to. Uh, uh, I took took a guy who's never been up uh, in a light aircraft before, and we flew over to Chatek, Wisconsin. Uh, I'd been there before. Um, it's a nice little lakeshore resort town uh, in Wisconsin. It's it's really pretty, and it's and it's an easy flight. Cool. That's my favorite. I love taking people who've never been up in a small plane. Yeah, I've done in the front seat. You know. Yeah, I've done a handful of those. Um, I don't know, less than ten, but uh, but it's but the numbers climbing. Um, I uh, on a on a lark, I flew one evening to Oshkosh. Uh, I picked up an, I picked up an <laughs> oh, IFR yeah, I saw clearance. That. I yeah. saw that on Twitter. Cool. And and flew myself out to Oshkosh and got to land there at. Uh, it was really weird landing at Oshkosh when it's not during air venture. <laughs> You're like, wow, that was easy. Yeah, it was <laughs> really really easy to get in. You know, they gave me the visual. Uh, they gave me the visual one eight, and one eight is eight thousand feet long. Yeah, so you did three touch and goes right there, right? <laughs> uh, no, no, I just I just landed and kind of hung out for a little bit and. Um, was hoping to grab a crew car, but I managed to get there just after the FBO had closed. And there was no, you couldn't even, it, actually it was really difficult to even get off of the grounds, get off of the field. Um, and so I picked up another IFR clearance and flew back. Um, it was VFR conditions, but I wanted to be in the system and, and working working on clearances and, and working with the controllers just to make sure I still remembered how to do it. Um, I set up for another Lifeline flight to move a patient to uh, Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and we had to cancel because of uh, some really challenging weather. Uh, there was forecast, you know, very low IFR, 100 foot or less IFR with, you know, 800 foot runway RVR, so runway visual range in the 800 foot range. Dude, you're um, never going to get one of those flights. It seems like yeah, it's, like, it's, it's a lot more likely. Third? That's the second. It's a yeah. lot more likely that I'm going to get one of those <laughs> when the weather is warmer. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it was just the there. I was going to do the second leg of the flight. I was originally planned to pick someone up in Peoria, Illinois, and uh, move into Rochester. And the weather there was bad, but not horrible. It was like three to four hundred foot overcast. Uh, and there's an ILS into Peoria. It's got a big long runway. It's 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 flyable, but the other leg had all kinds of problems. Um, and so the the guy doing the first leg was like, "Hey, why don't we change the leg and we'll fly to Waukesha, and um, I'll meet you there. It'll be later on because there's thunderstorms where we're picking this person up in Evansville, Illinois." And uh, but my home base is in Waukesha, and then and that'd just be I think easier and better. I'm like okay, no problem. I don't care if it's Waukesha or Peoria. And uh, I actually know people in in the Waukesha area, and was like, oh, that'll work <laughs> fine. And so I start, I get off the phone, I start planning, I pull up the, I pull up four flight, and I'm looking at you know okay, what's Waukesha Airport look like, and what are the what's the weather going to look like tomorrow? He says it's going to be VFR. And so I pull it up, and it's and I'm looking at the weather, and it's hundred foot overcast, <laughs> with a quarter mile visibility. 
Oh, yeah. So, yeah, no, this is well below minimums. I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I can't land there. Special VFR. Yeah, no. No, no. no. <laughs> I'm kidding. You can't get that special. Not that special. <laughs> <laughs> so... So I call, I, I text the guy back, and I'm like, you know, this is the forecast. Like, if you take off out of your home base, you're not going to be able to, on Sunday, you're not going to be able to get back in until Tuesday. Like, FYI. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I can't land there. <laughs> I am unwilling to fly over 100-foot overcast in a single-engine airplane because if I lose the engine, I have zero options. I'm going to break out at 100 feet and have, what, 15 seconds before I'm in the dirt? Yay, no. Pass. No, there's no yeah. way I'm doing that. Um, and so, you know, we agreed to cancel, and, and it was all okay. And I was able to fly that day. I had the plane, and I flew north instead of going south. And the weather was fine. I flew IFR, and I picked up some actual, and um, ended up shooting an approach. Uh, but I went up to Duluth, Minnesota, uh, which is... About a three hours drive north or a 33-minute flight in the Mooney. Um, <laughs> I know which one I'm choosing. <laughs> and, yeah, and so, you know, went up there, so visited with some friends, and uh, turned around and came back and just had a, had a pleasant day of it. Um, uh, I've got a couple other flights coming up. Um, I've got a flight out to Denver, which is promising to be really... Uh, an interesting opportunity. Uh, flying out to uh, Bravo, what is it? It's Bravo Juliet Charlie, which is Rocky Mountain Metropolitan Airport. It's west of Denver. And going to um, going to a conference that's out there, and it it it's looking really, really interesting. Uh, I'm looking at you know what are the approaches? What are what are the instrument approaches that I that I may need to fly in there? And the runway, the airport is fairly close to the Rockies. Um, it is at five thousand six hundred and seventy three feet at the um, uh, is the airport elevation, and you can only land. It, it has a crosswind runway which has no approaches. It has runway the main runways. There are two of them. They're parallel. Um, one two three zero. The only instrument approaches that they have are to three zero. You can't approach it from the northwest because there's rocks in the way. Um, and uh, the uh, instrument approach procedure for like the ILS um, is, you know, you start at seven thousand feet, and I'm like, I usually don't fly that high and cruise. Like, okay, this will be intriguing. And I'm looking at the missed approach instructions, and the missed approach instructions are like, yeah, you have to, you know, climb to 6,380 feet, and then a climbing right turn to 10,200 feet on heading 360 to this Vortac, and then climb in the hold, if you're not already at 10,200 feet by the time you get there, climb in the hold to 10,200. Like, that'll be different. That'll be really different. I hope I don't have to shoot an ILS and miss uh, at this airport. Um, yeah, it, right. it, <laughs> for sure. Are you going to go see uh, Nate uh, Durb while you're out there? I'm, I'm going to try to, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. And I'm also going to try to take some extra time at the end of the trip 
uh, after the end of the conference and do some uh, mountain flying, take a mountain cool. flying class. Yeah, it's fun. And uh, yeah, and get up there with the rocks and and see what that's like because uh, we we don't we don't have terrain here really. Yeah, experience the mountain waves. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, not experiencing the mountain waves. (laughs) Um, But you know, uh, we'll we'll certainly have some new experiences out of that. Uh, And then later on in May, I am filling all of the seats in the Cherokee Six, or it might be a Saratoga. I'm not sure what what aircraft we're going to have by the by end of May. Cool. Uh, I would be really happy if it was a Saratoga because uh, it would make the flight faster. We're we're looking at upgrading our Cherokee Six to a Saratoga, uh, which basically means it's a retractable gear aircraft with a bigger engine and twenty to thirty knots, twenty five to thirty knots more speed uh, for the same fuel burn. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that would be really really nice um, and. Uh, anyway, I, I have. Uh, um, I'm going to fill all the seats in the plane, and uh, we're going to fly down to Arkansas uh, for my mom's uh, big birthday, and uh, that'll be that'll be a good time. But before all of this happens, I have to complete a BFR and fly a few more approaches to get uh, to to maintain my IFR currency. So it'll be busy. It's been a little bit not terribly busy. I've I've done some flying, but not a, a ton um but it's going to be there may be some big big flights in may that'll keep me busy cool wow you've had a lot you've been doing a lot and uh got a lot to do up front i hope you guys get that uh get that new plane that'd be awesome yeah i'm really looking forward to it uh that would be a, a really sweet upgrade to our fleet so they'd they'd uh sell the six then yeah they'd sell the six um the the six that we have has um, some history and uh, which may <laughs> which may limit its resale value. I'll leave oh. it at that. Okay. Uh, but, what? Uh, <laughs> you had me in that plane at one point. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I've been in that plane at more than one point, and uh, it flies fine and it's safe and everything. But uh, um, yeah, it has it has some history. So. We'll just leave it at that then. Not not as colorful as some of our planes. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, uh, it's not a Mooney, is what you're telling me. It what I'm not really even sure what that means. I don't know because every time we talk about Moonies on this podcast, it's about how they're broken or a prop strike or something else. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> we uh, we had. Uh, before I joined the club, long quite a while before I joined the club, uh, actually we had a uh, uh, we had a fatal, uh. um, and uh, with uh, four people on board, and so we we lost the aircraft uh, and um, subsequently got another aircraft with the same number, which I thought was kind of an odd choice. Huh. We got uh, bought an aircraft and registered it under the same number as the old one. Wow, that is kind of an odd choice. Yeah, but uh, but there it is. Yeah. Wow. Man. So yeah, no, not the Mooney, not not no deer, no prop strikes, no runway overruns, no <laughs> no nothing like that. I'm not exactly sure what's happened with the six, but it came up at our annual meeting that it has a quote substantial unquote damage history. 
<laughs> oh, well then. Well, that'll all be... It's yeah. in the log. I could yeah. pull the log if I really wanted to and look it up, but... Yeah. yeah. You know, I, 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 as I'm looking through different planes that are for sale and so forth, you, you see some and you go, oh, wow, that's a great price. And then you look, oh, well, I had to gear up or whatever, you know. Yeah, there's a reason. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not exactly afraid of that. Uh, as long as the, the work was done properly to fix it, I'm not entirely against buying an aircraft that's had some sort of damage as long as it's been fixed. And especially if it's been fixed and then flown for hundreds of hours before I've bought it. Apparently, it's flyable, you know, and and you end up with a plane that you could get at a at a reasonable price, knowing that when you resell it, you know you've got to expect that too. Right? Yeah. You're and and you're probably going to lose some speed um, because of the repair work. Maybe. And, yeah. You know, it might not fly perfectly straight, and it's going to cost <laughs> you some speed. Um, Dog leg down the road like a truck that's been rear-ended <laughs> yeah and there's probably additional rivets sticking out that are going to create some more drag and maybe you know yeah. and then there's the maintenance that goes along with all of that yeah um all of that stuff um sure. but yeah aircraft in general are pretty accurately priced mm-hmm. uh, it's a it's a thriving market you know occasionally you'll come across one where somebody's just desperate to sell or or is you know, trying yeah. to convince somebody that, oh yeah, I'm trying to sell the aircraft. I put it up for sale. You know, but they price it forty, fifty thousand dollars over market. Yeah, apparently you don't want to sell it too bad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Occasionally you come across like the widow whose husband died, and now they want to sell the aircraft. And occasionally you can find a deal like that or something. Right. <sighs> right. But anyway, it's one of those things. Like you know, my my oldest daughter's married now, so. She she's out of the house, obviously, and her expenses are now you know their expenses. Huzzah! My, yeah, <laughs> my youngest daughter's in college now. My wife is uh, finished. She's got about five classes left left on her um um what do you call it her uh, her uh, bachelor's degree in nursing. She's doing going from her associates to her bachelor's. So as soon as she gets done with that, it's Nice to be able to free up that income. And yeah, you're not going to know what to do with all your money. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's one of the... At work, every once in a while, I'll meet somebody who do, who doesn't know that I that I fly. I don't know how that's possible. Because you know how to tell who's a pilot, right? Yeah, just wait. They'll tell you. That's right. You know? I don't know how many people in my office don't actually know that I'm not a pilot yet. But occasionally, one once in a while, someone will go, Oh, really? Do you have your own airplane? I'm like, um, no. I work for a church. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> well, I didn't know. Maybe you, you know, you didn't always work here. I'm like, yeah, I know. One day, one day, hopefully in the newer, nearer future than the further future. That's what I say, but it's further future. <laughs> yeah, you've got a it coming. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I, I have, I have faith that that oh, maybe. I, I thought I, I was can... muted. I'm sorry. <laughs> You know, maybe one day I can squeeze a Sonex kit in there for like thirteen grand and spend eight <laughs> years building that, and then I'll have an airplane. But that's about the only shot I got. Larry, there you go. Yeah, Larry Overstreet might sell you one. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's got two years left on it. That's right. Always two years. <laughs> yeah. Larry, we're kidding. Anyways. Mark. Yeah. What's up, man? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? 
I think you and I are probably on the of uh, 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 with the kids situation. You and I are in the best best position. I know. Yeah, they're, they're almost out the door. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course, paying for college, but that's whatever. There's that. There's but that. they're almost out the door. Yeah. But anywho, uh, let's see aviation stuff. Um, you been to do anything in that in that realm? Yeah, just a little bit. I've actually uh, started taking a uh, uh, an IFR ground school. It's a little bit different. Um, I really wasn't uh, when I went into it. Um, I I didn't know that this was what the intent of the class was, but I I, I kind of uh, took the challenge. Um, the way that it was set up, it was supposed to only be like five sessions, um, and it was it's really a with a CFII. So are you talking about a um, an in person type deal? Yes. Okay. So you go in. It's a yeah. You go into the classroom at the flight school, and um, but it what it really was was a a a, a semi guided self study type course. <laughs> okay, a semi guided self study. All right. I mean, yeah. so we would go in for for yeah. So we'd go in for two hours once a week, and um, the the instructor is very good, very knowledgeable. He's been teaching forever, um, so. It was it was eye opening and enjoyable, but it, but it really took a lot of uh, self motivation to go through the you know to 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 teach yourself basically or study on your own. I I would have liked to do more. In, in the instructor kept saying this: when I teach these, I normally have twice a week, two and a half hours a night for nine weeks. So I mean, we're talking eighteen. He goes eighteen classes, and he goes by that time we have all this interaction and we can do everything that we need to do and there's nothing left, you know, out in the void there. And and after going through this I, I want to say it was kind of a, a, a beta beta test of, of this this type of class. It ended up being myself and two other guys. Um the other two were very experienced, uh, a lot of hours, so they were tracking I mean we were all pretty much um I wanna say same IFR understanding level. So we had similar questions, we had similar understandings, and it was cool to go through it. And then we, we would go through uh, one of the ASA books and another book. I don't have it in front of me. I should have grabbed it before we started recording, but um, it's an older it's an older book, um, but it's well Glime? written. It uh, no, it's not a climb. It's um, I'll have to uh, I'll have to uh, grab it for the show notes, but. Uh, it, it actually it's really well written in that it's it's written for um, uh, anybody to understand. Now it's almost like an idiot's guide to to what what is that uh, the, the dummies book? The dummies yeah. books, right? <laughs> IFR for dummies. IFR, IFR, for, IFR for dummies. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost written like that because it's written. Uh, you know, some of it's really written in plain English. Where because there's some and Brad can attest to this. I, there's I some of the that, stuff. Yeah. That, there's some of the stuff that you're like, huh? Oh yeah. What? You know, and and why do I care? Yeah, and yeah. then they break it down and explain it in in a very normal way, and, and you're like, oh, now I get it. So, um, the reason I I did the class is because you know I've always been a visual learner, and I needed to be in type of that that type of a classroom where I can actually go and and raise my hand and ask questions because I've been reading the the uh, the Jeppesen Big Blue book for you know a year and a half and there's some of the stuff in there that i was just like i just don't i couldn't i'm not comprehending i couldn't do that even for my primary 
Yeah, you have to. I tried. I had it. Someone gave me the book, and I'm looking at it right now. And just the way it was written versus the ASA that I was going off of, I was like, "Ah, never mind. I'm just going to put this on the shelf and just stick with ASA. Yeah, so that's one of the things that I ordered was the uh, the oral guide for uh, from ASA. So basically, um, it it has a bunch of the stuff that's going to be covered in the in the oral portion of the of your uh, your check ride. Um, and I've been reading through that, and and there's still some stuff. And I also have um, on my iPhone slash iPad, I have one of the apps that that's the test questions that sit there and revolve and and aren't those the, a joy? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a pain in the uh, in the backside because there's a lot of it that that you know you need to look at the chart or you need to look at this and it's not very clear. Um, but uh, the flight school's owner has reached out to me a couple of times like, hey, "Have you taken the written yet? Have you taken the written yet?" And I'm like, you know what? Honestly, due to work and family and stuff like that, I haven't been able to lock myself in a room, study, prep for the test, and go take the test yet. Um, and, and taking the um, the the practice tests, um, my scores haven't been consistently good enough that I'm going to spend the money to go sit and take the test. Yeah, you don't want to. And that test it. is brutal. I mean, it it's yeah. stupid. You know, it it's all questions about ADF and you know just technology that you're never going to use. Exactly, and that was part of the thing that we were talking about while sitting in the class. I, they they was, haven't taken out ADF questions yet. No, no, they're still in there. Jeez. They're working and, on and redoing the, the IFR. Well, they, that's what they I haven't, thought. They don't have Lorand questions anymore. <laughs> oh well, thank yeah. you. Actually, they're well. Maybe they take them out of the test, but in the practice sessions, they're, they still reference Lorand. Um, they uh, there's there were several ADF questions. Um, the DME arc stuff. Yeah. Um, I fly DME arcs like, pretty regularly, so that that's still you, around. And, and there's some other stuff that's that that's in there that the equipment doesn't even exist in California anymore to do this stuff. Um, and and the instructor that I that I was uh, meeting with, he said the same thing. He's all uh, he goes, I can't even teach it because the equipment doesn't exist anymore. So um, uh, I, I'm going to plan on probably this summer. Uh, Becoming act, a lot more active and, and actually getting some hands-on flying, and you know, not that we're going to get much actual this summer, but I'll be do a lot of hood flying, and um, we'll I'll give more updates then. But uh, come out to the East Coast, I, we'll get you some uh, actual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so I did that for. It ended up being. It started like I said. The intent was five weeks. It ended up being eight weeks. Um, and the last, I missed the last class. Uh, Due to family, some family stuff I had to take care of. But uh, um, I, from what I understand, that last class was two and a half hours of just going through review questions, and, and um, which I probably should have been there for, but couldn't make it. But uh, anyway, I, I'm still trying to stay with my mind in that mindset. Uh, I'm reading the books, and you know, as I as I have the time, but. Uh, I'm gonna be. I, I plan on being a lot more committed and, and knocking it out this summer. So we'll see. Knock on word. Um, uh, the last major flight that I did, or the last time I was actually on the sticks, was in November. That big long flight that I talked about going down to Southern California to meet with you, Chris. Um, I hadn't done any flying since then, mm. and I was. I, I just had the itch. So um, my daughter and I last 
Friday, we just went in the the uh, White Lightning, which is the, uh, the Warrior, 180-horse <laughs> Warrior, was available. So we went out and grabbed it, and we just did a you know about an hour local flight, and it was pretty cool. We went and looked at some of the lakes uh, that have been almost bone dry around here, lakes and reservoirs, and to, to go and see them as full as they were was pretty cool. So I did some low, slow flight over Folsom Lake here in, uh, in the Sacramento area. So uh, flew over Folsom Prison, um, got to see some of the new dam. The, the dam, they're working on the Folsom Dam with a new spillway. So we did some real low and slow on about, about you know, 65 knots, everything dragging, you know, <laughs> practicing my slow flight, you know, nice. kind of thing. And uh, it was pretty cool. We got to see some really cool stuff. And Went uh, to my old airport and uh, did a couple touch and goes, and then just just went back uh, went back uh, to the airport and put the plane away. But uh, it was good to get up and fly and just kind of you know pervert pervert. What do you say that? Uh, I don't know. I stretch my wings. Um, yeah. So the proverbial exercise the privilege. Yeah. Per- yeah there you go. Yeah. Exercise. Yeah, that that's a good way to say it. Exercise the privilege. So it was good to get up and kind of kind of see everything from the the correct vantage point I'll say but uh yeah that's, that's pretty much it for me I uh I've got I've got a lot of non-flying stuff that I've got to take care of you know Uncle Sam and all that <laughs> other stuff before I can re re uh refocus my time on on reading and and doing some practical and and uh, I was actually talking to um to Ron Klutz, uh, when we talk about a week, week and a half ago, we just kind of chatted a little bit. Uh, I think it was either via via uh, Twitter or via um, text messaging. But uh, I wish either I had my own plane or he lived closer because <laughs> we we had some good chats about. You know, this is what you really need to do to knock this out. And I'm like, God, man, I wish you were so closer. I thought he was uh, right up there by you. He's actually in the in the San Francisco Bay Area. He flies out of Palo Alto, yeah. which is it's an hour flight oh. from here, forty five minutes. Oh, flight really? So, yeah. I didn't think it was so. that far. Wow. If he was closer, I mean, if he was twenty minutes away, I would, I would, you know, in a heartbeat, I would go pick him up and we do our thing. And um, but it makes it a little bit more difficult. But if I could, if I had my own RV or you know buy into half of an RV or something that that's a lot quicker that makes that hour you know into 30 minute flight yeah then yeah because i'm going to build some hours go get him go fly into the bravo get him you know do our thing fly home so i'm building hours and doing doing training so you know there's there's things that are bouncing around in my head to see if i can try to make happen sometime but um at, at this point in time i i don't even i don't even do like you i, ca- I can't look at controller anymore and because and i just start to I start to get that itch and go, God, oh, I know. I know. <laughs> pull the trigger, pull the trigger, you know. Of course, if my wife has anything to say about it, I'll be living in it if I buy it. So, <laughs> so anyway. You can live in your airplane, but you can't fly your house. Yeah, that's right. This is true. <laughs> I'm doing so. it all wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, how about you, Chris? What do you, uh, what have you been up to? Oh, I haven't got to do enough flying, as usual, but... Um, I did. I did get to uh, take a friend of mine, actually an old neighbor. Um, we moved about a year ago, January, and uh, um, one of our old neighbors, um, her her uh, dad uh, turned 85, and she she uh, sent me a text message. Actually, her husband did, John. He was like, "Hey, you know, Chris, uh, 
um, Bob's turning turning 85, and you know we thought it'd be cool if you'd take him up in the airplane. You know, um, he used to have an airplane years ago, and you know he he'd have a lot of fun. I'm like, sure, that sounds great. You know, so uh, we made a date for one of the um, monthly uh, fly-ins down to Coolidge. They have a little pancake breakfast uh, fly-in on the first Saturday of each month. So I figured that'd be great because it'd be better than just you know tooling around and you actually get to go somewhere and and uh turned out you know it had to be at least about 100 airplanes show up that day so that was pretty cool so i went and uh picked up bob at like six o'clock in the morning on saturday and uh and uh we drove down to uh, uh glendale to pick up the airplane and and uh you know um did the uh you know i had bob just kind of like get to kind of relive some of his uh, youth uh, because he told me he said he had a plane before he had a had a car he had his uh, pilot's license before he had his driver's license so as soon as he turned 16 um he got his pilot's license and he immediately bought a plane i think he said he (laughs) i think he said he bought a champ for wow for like 300 and some dollars Okay, I wish. I know. So we're talking. We're talking the nineteen. Um, might have been probably the nineteen. Let's see. Bob's eighty-five. So what does that put us? A- eighty-five years ago from now would put us uh, thirty-one plus. If he was in his twenties, fifty-one. Well, he would have been sixteen when he got it. Okay, so for, just so, post-war. So eighty-five 40. minus sixteen is what though. So we got. Uh, um, shoot, that would have been forty-seven. Yeah. Let's say it was night. So he probably got about a nineteen late nineteen forties to nineteen fifties uh, champ. I think it was um, no electrics, you know. And uh, so, anyways, uh, we we took off out of out of Glendale and um, headed towards uh, um, uh, Phoenix to do the Bravo transition. Oh my gosh! I don't know if you. I, I put up the video not long ago. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but. And I edited a lot of this out because uh, I call up Phoenix Approach, you know, to do the Bravo transmission. And the dude's like, um, you know, uh, Cessna 811, I'll get back to you in three to five minutes. I'm like, oh, brother. All right. So I slow the plane way down and we're just, you know, eking towards Phoenix. Uh, we're just heading east towards uh, central Phoenix. And uh, and then he hasn't called me back. So I do a 360 real slow. And then I finally decide to call him and he had forgot about me, of course. So uh yeah he gives me the transition to the Bravo so we get across the Bravo and that was a lot of fun I always like going over across uh, going over top of Phoenix and looking down at the airport below us and Bob really enjoyed that um <clears throat> I asked Bob if he, he wanted the controls he didn't want the controls at all I don't know why you know he was just he was just happy as a lark just looking out the window I guess and uh so we're heading to uh Coolidge and um we get across uh we get across the Bravo and they let us go and um I turn tune into Coolidge about thirty five miles out just to start listening to traffic because this is a a non towered airport. Everybody's just calling their own traffic and I know it's gonna be pretty busy. I don't know how many airplanes are coming in, but you know, it was just nonstop chatter on the uh on the uh, radio from, from the time I tuned in from like thirty miles out until I got within ten miles and then I start reporting my traffic and we make our way in uh, 45 degrees, uh, you know, to the downwind of uh, the runway, and we make our way into the, the Congo line, as it were, uh, going into going into Coolidge. And and um, the thing is, like, when you're coming into land there, there's probably about 25 guys off to the side of the runway taking pictures. 
There's just uh, that's just the thing. People love getting out there early in the morning and just start shooting photos of the airplanes coming in because there could be everything from your average Cessna 172 to a gyroplane to a jet to helicopters, who knows what. I mean, everything goes into that place on the weekends for something like that. Um, <clears throat> speaking of that, did you see on, I think it was the the AOPA magazine, it was a picture of that uh, home-built um, Spitfire? No. It was a couple of episodes ago, but the guy who flies that is out of uh, Prescott, Arizona, so he flies down to this like almost every time. So he's got a scale-built um, Spitfire that he built from scratch with a 12-cylinder Allison in it. Wow. Yeah, I saw that. That was amazing. Yeah, so he flies down there, and we get we get to see that up close, which is really amazing. So uh, uh, Bob and I hung out there for a little while. Uh, like I said, it must have been about a hundred planes that came in that day. It was really good weather, and um, and uh, so a lot of people came out for it. Had our pancake breakfast, did a lot of walk around and so forth, and then uh, just he- headed back to Glendale. Same route that we uh, that we uh, came. We just went back the opposite way, and Bravo transition again. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, Bob. Uh, after oh yeah, after so Bob had that. Um, I think it was a champ. I could be wrong, but uh, he had that for a long time, and then he decided he wanted something a little bit bigger. So he bought a. I'm gonna have to look it up. Um, they call it's called the Volte, V U L T E, BT13 Volte. So it's kind of like a fixed gear Texan. Would be about the best way to describe it, I think. A BT-13 cool. uh, Valiant or the Volte BT-13. So he had one of those, and he, he kind of just kind of described uh, how it basically was eating them alive in gas because it had a lot bigger engine in this that, and still only sat two people. So I don't know that he had that for very long, but he had one of those for a little while too. So it was it was it was a good time and enjoyed uh, spending the time with uh, with Bob and. He sure he certainly enjoyed it. I'll have to get him back up in the in the air again sometime soon. <clears throat> and speaking of uh the champ, um one of the local guys down here, uh Mark Walker, um invited me up to go fly with him. He's got a uh he's got a champ. He used to have a um uh shoot, what was what were those planes that basically the ailerons were tied into the rudder and the plane didn't have rudder pedals? Everybody on listening is yelling out the name right now. Um, I'm, I'm two seat, air coop. side by side. Air coop. Yeah. Air, air coop. There you go. He used to have an air coop, and he got rid of that and decided to go with the tail wheel, so he bought a Champ. And so um, he invited me over to go fly with him in the Champ, and so I, I, I drove over to uh, the airport. And um, so check this out. So the Champ doesn't have a starter. So he goes, all right, so this is a hand prop airplane. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and he goes, all right, go ahead and get in the back. Here's the throttle. There's the brakes. Here's your stick. You know, just make sure it doesn't rev up too high. I'm like, hold on, hold on. What's the proper RPM that we need to be at? He goes, well, I'm like under 1,000. He goes, yeah, under 1,000 is good. He goes, don't get on the brakes too hard because it will just tip over on its nose. He's got me a little bit freaked out. All right. Um, what could possibly go wrong? Right, right. I've only read about this, you know. Um, and 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 he's, he goes here. I'll, I got the emergency, or not the emergency brake, the parking brake. And he pulls the parking brake on. Then he grabs the plane by the propeller and like pulls it forward. And it doesn't really 
catch a lot. So he goes, oh, that's not catching too good. So he readjusts and he goes, okay, I think that's good. So he, okay, so he cycles the prop through, you know, four or five times. And then, uh, all right, clear, let's go. So he turns it over, and it doesn't start, it doesn't start. We we prime it a little bit more. He goes, okay, here we go. So wham, he starts it up, and the plane starts going forward. <laughs> so I'm like, whoa, and I pull back on the throttle, and I ease onto the brakes a little bit, pull the pull the stick back to my chest, you know, and, and it stops. I mean, I'm not talking we started leaving, but, um, you know, we, we moved maybe six inches to a foot. But in my head, I'm thinking if he's there by himself doing this, the plane goes into the in, in, into the hangar, into his car that's right there, or something. I'm not sure, but uh, the 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 parking brake didn't really hold all that great. So I'm glad I was in the airplane for that. Um, he's got a little handheld uh, um, radio with a two place intercom connected to it, so we had we had radios and everything. So uh, we did a little bit of champing. Um, and uh, just did a little bit of like 500 foot off the deck, the true low and slow like you hear about. A lot of fun. Uh, the plane definitely trues out and just flies hands off if you want it to. Um, we, does anyone know what the, um, is there a standing TFR for nuclear power plants? Because we were flying all over the Palo Verde nuclear power plant. Not over top of it. I flew by one. <laughs> You're not supposed to quote loiter, unquote. Okay. Yeah. Because I know there's not a TFR on the... On the chart, um, it's listed on the chart as it's there, but it doesn't like have a ring about it or anything. But it, we there, were there within, wasn't the one. Um, I think it was Three Mile Island. Actually, I flew by in that. Had okay. Nothing. Okay. So it does show it as a. It's not within a restricted area. No, um, we were flying. I'd say within oh, three to five miles of it. Um, not over top of it, but just three to five miles to the. North or south of it. There's an airport within three to five miles of the <laughs> the one that I was at. And, yeah, basically it shows up as a, a thing on the chart saying, hey, it's a landmark, but that's it. Oh, okay. Because the people were going – people, after I posted the picture on Facebook, were like going, wait, are you supposed to be there even? I'm like, I, I don't know, man. Yeah. We had the radios off, <laughs> so we're just we're just cruising around about like 500 feet off the ground or whatever, just around to the north and the south of it and around it and so forth. So, anyways, that was a lot of fun. Um, and Mark's kind of new to the new to the tail wheel and the champ, but uh, you know he just he just got his rain. He's probably like uh, 25 hours into tail wheel flying so far, but did a fantastic job. Good landing um, and. Uh, it was it was a good day and uh, what else I think um, I think we've got a uh, a fly-in uh, that we're supposed to be going to maybe oh well I ain't gonna be able to go to it on the ninth I got something else going on but they've got a a fly-in up to Payson for breakfast uh, coming up on the ninth but I'll be at uh, Country Thunder the big country uh, country music festival that's held down in uh, um, oh just south of town a little bit. But that's about it. <clears throat> getting a little bit of getting a little bit hoarse here. Gotta get a drink. I ran out all my drinks for the night. Yeah, I'm <clears throat> still so nip. Gotta save up for uh, Sun and Fun. There you go. <laughs> Speaking of that, not at Sun and Fun. That's uh, me, Mark, and Brad, I guess. But uh, John is representing. I am, you know, with the with the kid coming in June. Uh, Osh is basically a no go for me. Um, bah. I. Uh, I definitely can't drive there, can't spend the time, and um, can't afford to fly myself. 
And I've been looking at tickets, but I mean, realistically, it's just too expensive to go up even for the weekend. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, if, if you're looking, gonna spend uh, that money, you're gonna want to make it worth your while. Yeah, I mean, I would. It's just if I could get it for like three hundred bucks, I'd do it uh, round trip. But it's it's more like four fifty, five hundred, and I I just can't. I don't think I can swing that with a uh, one month old. I hear you. Um, I'm, so. I'm I'm still trying to figure out my Oshkosh plans, uh, Brad. I'll get back to you. I got to figure out what what's going to work out. So I uh, I'm going to try and make it to where I fly into MSP and then hit up Brad and we'll uh, we'll fly into uh, Osh together. I'm still trying to talk Mark into coming out and then we can take the minivan. Oh, okay. <laughs> that works too. MSP. That makes for a long drive, though. MSP, Minneapolis, St. Paul. When are you guys gonna be? Um, when are you guys going? Are you going early or later in the week? I remember you guys were talking about it. The beginning. Or beginning, yeah. This will be my oh, first wow. time at the first time ever at the beginning of the show. Same here. Interesting. Same here, because I'm usually hit there Wednesday and go home Sunday, and there's not even that kind of a flight through Allegiant this time. So I might actually see my first ever UCAP broadcast. <laughs> I hear you. Someday they'll invite us. <laughs> Someday. Yeah. Whenever we get big time, huh? <laughs> Both our listeners will have to lobby. Yeah. Anywho. I, th- I think the, the crickets are chirping. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. We are about ran out of uh, information, as it were. So How you say, John? random side note, I mean, I can make it to MSP for 200 bucks. <laughs> See, I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Is that cheaper than, uh, than, uh, that's like, holy crap. <laughs> should I not remind you of the elephant in the room? <laughs> yeah. 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 I'll bring a, that up later. It's a really little elephant. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going anywhere. <laughs> I know, but you know, <laughs> one can dream. There you go. Next, <clears throat> I probably have enough points. I could probably. <laughs> That's how I'm doing it. Is points Southwest? Uh, I'm actually done that for Sun and Fun. I got down there and back for seventy-eight bucks. So there you go. Um, works out nicely. But um, yeah, so uh, on the off chance that um, this gets out in time, I will be there Tuesday. <laughs> Uh, For our listeners, we're recording this in March of 2016. On that happy note, (laughs) shout-outs. Yeah. (laughs) To all of the people who braved flying places with me, uh, especially Jess, um, (laughs) for for not puking in the plane. Did you bring plenty of airsick bags for everybody? Oh, I always carry a bunch of those with me. There you go. Yeah. Every every time we go on a commercial flight, I take all three that's in our seats, all three in the row. But uh, no, I do the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) I figure I paid for him, you know. But in all seriousness, uh, Chris and um, Chris and Jess for for flying on the long flights with me, and uh, a huge shout out for uh, Damon Favor for um, he was in town for a long time, uh, and we got to hang out a lot, got to fly uh, out to Cape May, and that was a good you know breakfast flight. That's what I got. Uh, I don't really have anything other than uh, 
just a, a shout out to Bob for uh, hanging in there with me, and uh, hopefully we can go fly again sometime, and uh, and hopefully he'll take the controls this time and uh, let me be a passenger. All right. Okay then. Well, I think it's time to wrap this thing up. Uh, let everybody know where you can find us real quick. Chris, start with you. Sure, you can uh, shoot me an email at chris at inthepatternpodcast.com. You can find me on the uh, Facebooks at Chris Holub or uh, the Twitter machine at cholubaz. That's C-H-O-L-U-B-A-Z. And Mark, how about you? Uh, Mark at In The Pattern Podcast. Uh, C-A Pilot Mark. Yeah, that's right. On the Twitter machine. <laughs> and on Facebook and my personal Facebook, our our uh, podcast Facebook, anywhere. I'm out there. Reach out. And Brad, let's uh, let everybody hear how your name is spelled. <laughs> Let me try. Let me try. No, I'm just joking. You can't hardly even say it. I know. <laughs> you can Hello, reach me Oscar. via the email at brad at inthepatternpodcast.com, uh, via the Twitter machine at Brad Kane. Uh, you can find me on Facebook and under a rock and at your local post office. Uh, and, of course, uh, Kane is spelled. Mark, go ahead. Kilo, Oscar, Echo, Hotel, November. Yay! Bravo, Zulu. Yay! And you can reach me at john at inthepatternpodcast.com or at Pilot Conway, pretty much anywhere else on the internet, including uh, Twitter. Um, for the entire podcast, you can reach all of us at podcast at inthepatternpodcast.com. We're on Twitter's In The Pattern, or you can go ahead and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash inthepatternpodcast. Uh, show notes for this episode and other episodes can be found on our website in the pattern podcast.com. Uh, like to ask for any um, suggestions, comments, critiques. Uh, we'd love to get all the feedback from our listeners. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up episode 60 of the in the pattern podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening and remember make left traffic. You're cleared for the option. this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head.com. Welcome to episode 60 of the Inner Pattern. What? What? <laughs> the what? You got editing to do right off the bat. Shite. Welcome to the Independent Podcast. Man, I still couldn't say that right. Let me have another drink. This ought to help. I know it's been a while, but come on, man. Yeah.